I would say, you know, spend, spend a little bit of money on the things that you can get someone else to do that frees up your time to do the things that you do best. We start our businesses because of the interests we have and because of the skills we have. And I think that when we spend our time really dedicating ourselves to those things, we do better. Hey, and welcome to the Leading with Nice interview series podcast. My name is Matthew Yule, and we want to help you and your team inspire others, build loyalty, and get results. Now, today I'm super excited because we have somebody in like full transparency. I've known her probably my whole life. We haven't always been in touch, but I've always kept up to what she's doing because it's super exciting. We have Julie Mafuz Rezvani on the show, and she's the founder and managing director of the Orion Group. It's a boutique human capital management services firm. And they serve both national and international clients. So another cool thing we're going to talk about a little bit later on too is she co-founded and was the executive director of Amazing Me Canada. It was uh, an award-winning not-for-profit civil society organization. And what it did is you may recall, and it's still happening, but it's not as much in the news today. There was a time when a lot of Syrian refugees were coming to Canada and her organization, that organization, helped over 2,000 of them. And I have some questions about it, so I won't go too deep into it now. Today, she still volunteers as a board member on different boards, and she's a mom of two, so she's super engaged in her school board, both regionally and, of course, at her own children's school. And something very cool that I thought, at least, was she is a recipient of a Governor General of Canada Sovereign Medal. And if you don't know what that is, it's okay. But the Sovereign Medal, if you've worked in nonprofit, you've probably have heard of it before. It's given to Canadians by the Governor General, and it's to honor volunteers who have made a significant and continual contribution in their community. So we're going to welcome Julie. But before we start chatting with her, I just want to remind you, if you have not gotten your discount code for the Communicating in Crisis online course, head over to leadingwithnice.com. There's a big, huge button. You can't miss it. And you can get your discount code right now. The emails we're getting, people are finding it helpful, especially as we're kind of in this mid to exit strategy around the crisis portion of COVID-19. And there's some great tips and some great learning on just how to manage and facilitate that. So without any further ado, Julie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Matthew. It's lovely to be on with you. Back in our neighborhood Julie and I lived in the same neighborhood, so I just get that out of the way. So if there's times when there's like, how does that relate to anything? It's probably because I've done some like 1980s callback. Uh, so before I go down that rabbit hole too much, I want to talk to you, Julie, first about our employment landscape, because it's changed so much through the COVID-19 pandemic. And I know a lot of listeners are in these positions where they're hiring people and they're trying to figure out what's important in addition to all the other usual metrics they look at like 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 skills and culture fit so what should employers be asking today that they may not have been before you know i think that's a, a really good question and you know i i would start with uh, sort of what you've touched on which is covid's thrown companies into creating what they thought would be these 
short-term makeshift management processes because we didn't think we'd be here uh, a year later. But uh, as we know, and as has been stated, that the way we work has now forever uh, been changed. So, you know, keeping that in mind and, and understanding that Perhaps the biggest change, of course, that we've all experienced at some level, or most of us have, is the remote work, right? That wasn't as popular prior to COVID, and now, you know, we're all Zoom uh, experts. So Hmm. one of the questions I think is where I start with and what I'm advising is that we're all in this together. That's the expression, but we really are. And, and And it's important, I think, as a prospective employer to start with the basic question to prospective candidates is, how they're navigating through the pandemic. You know, how, how are you doing? I think that's where I think it's important to start because it's the elephant in the room that everyone's asking about. Everyone has that elephant in the room. As an employer, when you ask that question, it shows empathy. It creates a connection that, yeah, you know, I know this is something we're all going through. How are you managing it? And I think it sets the stage for an open and honest interview. And I think it lets guards down. So that's where I always encourage people to start. Apart from that, COVID has has, uh, uh, created situations where we've had to learn how to problem solve at every every level, whether it be uh, while you're at home and you're on a Zoom call and, you know, the doorbell rings or your, your dog starts to bark or your kids who are homeschooling in the next office or the next bedroom are, you know, knocking on your door. So problem solving um, and how you sort of uh, navigate through those disruptions, those disturbances. That's a really good question uh, to ask. And there isn't sort of a, you know, a right answer. I I think, I think what you really want to hear from people is, you know, how far have they come in being able to sort of manage those types of interruptions? What have they put in place to make it easier? And, you know, how are they dealing with that? So I think, I think that sort of, you know, shows the employer or the prospective employer how do you problem solve when these things come up that you're not expecting, you know, how are you working around them? You're on a zoom call or you're supposed to host a meeting. All of a sudden your internet goes down. So what do you do? You know, do you email everybody in the group and say, you're not going to be there. Do you try to, you know, get someone else to do it? Like, how are you solving these problems that all of us, you know, working from home, uh, relying on things like the internet that can't always be uh, fully relied on. Now we're, we're facing these challenges. We want to know how people are sort of problem solving and, and, and trying to, you know, work around uh, what is a precarious situation sometimes. I never even thought about asking a question about how are you doing? But of course, you know, we could end the interview right now and this would be a huge takeaway for a lot of listeners. Thank you. That was really good advice. Alternately, I have some individuals I work with as coaching clients, but then also sometimes like clients that are in the middle of career rediscovery, you know, they've discovered now they actually want to make a drastic career change and they've realized that they're only in their job out of comfort because the holidays they had because of salary, because the location. So when someone contacts you like this, what are the questions you ask them to make sure it's something they should actually explore? What I'm hoping is that people will hear this and maybe ask themselves this question. Right. So, you know what? I mean, I, I think it's the same approach. I, I take the same approach as I would if they were asking me, if they were telling me they'd like to leave their current employment or if I was approaching them for an opportunity. Um, 
No, I think it's important to understand the depth. So, you know, I always start with the why. You know, why why are you looking to leave or why are you looking for the change? And what you're really trying to get to there is is, you know, is it a bad day at work? Did you have a bad week? Is it a series of bad days or is there more depth? You know, is it something fickle that's going to change uh, if I talk to you again 2 weeks later when, you know, you've one employee of the week award or something? Or is there something that you've actually given a lot of thought? Have you researched it? And some of the questions I often start with is, you know, of course, the why, why do you want to do this? And and what is it that you want to do? Because I think that sometimes people come to the table and say, I just want to change, you know, I'm, I'm bored. I've been there myself. I've been doing this for 17 years. And there's times where I'm like, maybe I should do something completely different. But I don't know what that different thing is. And, you know, it's a fleeting moment, or maybe it lasts a, a, a week or two, and then I'm back on to doing what I love to do. So it, 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 I think the amount of time that they've actually spent thinking about it and not on the surface, but the depth. Have you researched it? Have you applied the effort to understanding everything from, you know, what additional education you might require? How are you going to actualize this career change? And and you also have to have the pragmatic questions like, is there a demand for what you want to do? I'd love to do certain things. Is it something that's viable for me? Am I going to be able to um, maintain the things that are important to me in my life? And it's not just about money. It could be about you know, your, your work-life balance or this, you know, certain luxuries you're afforded or flexibilities you're afforded. So I think it's really important to learn from them how much do they understand what is it that they're hoping to do. And then from there, you know, we move forward. But the first thing is really understanding if they've taken the time to research it. And also, do they have the patience and a viable plan to see it through? You know, I'm just pulling it up right now because I saw a post by uh, Adam Grant, who's an author, and you might have seen him on a TED Talk. And he had this great pie chart that he shared about all the different things, how we measure what our career success looks like. And before the pie chart, he would argue, was split down the middle. And on one side, it was salary, and one side, it was job title, and they were in equal measure. Right. And now you know, we think so much more about job title and salary. Yes, but they're a small part. But free time, liking what you do, your physical health, your mental health, those all play into what's next. Yeah, and I see that as something that's evolved. I know 17 years ago when I started, uh, even in terms of a job change, you know, it always surrounded compensation and responsibility, which equated to title for them. And now it's not the same. Much more more people are, are concerned about, you know, everything from the balance, of course, the work-life balance, to being able to work from home, to, you know, what are the, uh, the company's policies and how do they feel about certain social causes? That's really important to a lot of people as well. So yeah, I, I've seen that pie chart. And I, I fully concur. I've seen that actually, in real life interviews with people where the things that you think matter, or they used to matter, they're not as important anymore. And I often say with our staff, my question to them is like, is work life giving? Like, does the work we do here during the day, give you the energy to be a better mom or dad or spouse or friend, because it shouldn't be taken away from that. Uh, you launched the Orion Group almost two decades ago. So, A, congratulations. That's amazing. And so now I'm going to ask you to reach back into your memory banks. And you get to a point where you're like, okay, like this is actually going to work. And this is going to be my thing. And, you know, we're going to make it. We're sustainable now. 
And instead of just wondering how, you know, what business do we get next month, we're looking at planning two, three, four, five years out. And so for the people that own their own company, they might have tuned in to listen so they could you know, get some tips on hiring. I'd like you to offer some other advice that you'd be an expert in as well. And also you help other companies do this. Is like, what do you have to be conscious of when you start to think about staffing up and, and adding maybe your first, second, or maybe it's your 10th or 11th employee? What are some important things to be thinking of in those earlier days? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, I, for me, it, it was a lot about where I came from. You know, prior to launching my own company, I worked for a billion-dollar conglomerate. You know, there were no budgetary constraints. And and so, you know, you were at free will to uh, use what you needed to to make sure that the business was able to, you were able to meet your goals and your targets, especially on the sales side. So moving from that into, okay, this is all my money now, and uh, uh, I, I don't know if this is going to work or not, um, I, I took a very conservative approach at the business beginning, as I think a lot of places do. I wore all the hats from accounting to sales to marketing and to IT. And I was that one woman shop and it was tough, but it, what it did is it allowed me to you know, have that hands-on understanding of what skill set I needed for each of those roles. So, you know, even if I was in a position to fully staff those roles, I think it was important that I did it the way I did it because I learned those job descriptions. I understood, you know, hands-on what they would consist of. Um, but what I also learned, and this is where I would, you know, where if I were able to tell my 17 years back self, uh, I would say, you know, spend, spend a little bit of money on the things that you can get someone else to do that frees up your time to do the things that you do best. So I started to look more carefully, probably a little bit later than I would have liked to, on things like, you know, the billable rate. So if I'm going to, if I have administrative work to do, am I best to do that? Or am I best to hire somebody at, you know, $16, $17 an hour to get that person to do that? So I can use you know, my skill and my expertise and those hours to you know, generate the revenue in the company and, and, and still have coming back to sort of, you know, having that, that, that mental health check, the, the balance, the work-life balance, the, the time, the energy to be able to come back in the next day to work and, and continue. So I think, you know, when you're, when you're starting off, and you start to scale up, I think it's important to look at, obviously, what the value add of that person is going to be. I don't think you can look at everybody from a revenue side, because not every position is a revenue creating position, of course. Um, but for me, it was very simple, you know, which roles are going to help drive revenue, and which roles help save money. And that sort of helped me to sort of, you know, strive forward. But I, I, I had to be careful as well, because being a service-based business, our largest cost is payroll. And being a largely contingency-based business at that time, it was really difficult to sort of know when to scale up the staff because, okay, we scale up, uh, but the business isn't as, as strong as we had expected it to be. So until we got to a point where we had that sort of consistency of clients where, okay, well, you know what, I know I'm on contract with these people or I've been working with them for long enough that I know there's going to be a, a consistent amount of repeat business. It was a bit of a precarious skill. So I, I think that when you know, you're in that point where you're looking at, at scaling up, I would go after the positions that are absolutely necessary. And I would also consider how much of your time as the owner or the founder is being spent doing those tasks that you could probably hire somebody else to do at a less billable rate than what you would charge. What was it you loved doing? What were you doing that you loved? 
So I, I was, you know, I loved speaking to the clients. I was like being the face of the company. I liked having those one-on-one conversations on the phone about clients' needs and, and you know, that could translate into sales and, and marketing, but really that forward-facing role, talking to these different clients and generating the business, that was really where I was strong. And, uh, and when I got into the minutia of some of these other things like accounting or administration, I felt like it just took me a lot longer to do those things as well. And again, it would have been better served if I actually got someone else to do that. So I could focus on not only what I love doing, but honestly, what I was better at than uh, than some of these other areas that uh, that I had delved into. You know, I similar for me, and it, it was a kind of a paradigm shift because the first thing I outsourced was accounting. And I was using like an online accounting software and paying like $32 a month. And then all of a sudden, you know, monthly accounting was like, you know, $1,000 or somewhere in there for the work that I needed done. And it was like, oh, but I can do this for $32 a month on my own. But when I let that go, oh my gosh, the freedom it gave me, you know, and I'm sure you experienced that as well. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, you're, you're now able to focus on it. My accountant tells me this all the time. Let me do what I do best. And you don't, you know, you look over the stuff I do, but you do what you do best. And I, 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 you know, I think it's as simple as that is that, you know, we, we start our businesses because of the interests we have and because of the skills we have. And I think that when we spend our time really dedicating ourselves to those things, we do better. And, and especially in my field, that's what I do. I hire people to do jobs and, and bringing that home and incorporating that into my company was very important for me. If you've just heard what Julia just saying, you're like, oh, I need to figure that out. It may not be because you want to staff up. Maybe there's a lot of reasons why you need to let go of something. Two resources I'm going to recommend for you. One is a book by Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings, where he talks about, now it's more about dramatic endings, but sometimes it's like ending your control or lack of trust over others and how you can let that go. And another resource, and uh, Jamie, who does all our content management, if you can dig it up, buddy, we have an Alexa skill, the Leading with Nice Daily. We have a whole week on asking yourself the question, when am I at my best, which would really help you discover like the true things that you love doing and help you. Conversely, it's like, what do I long for? Uh, well, I long to be better at accounting. That's how I decided accounting would be the first thing of the several things. I just have a couple more questions and they they move away from your professional work, but not your professional skills. I want to talk about the nonprofit you led. And the reason is one of the tenets of leading with nice is our value of being service driven. So in 2017, you were leading Maze and Me which did a lot, including operating a clothing bank and skills development for women refugees. And I know you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a business owner, so no one would fault you for not volunteering your time. Like you have a lot of, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. So I know this isn't the motivation. Like I know that you didn't volunteer so that you could be you know, glorified or held on a pedestal. I know that's not why you did it. But at the same time, you, when you volunteer, you get something out of it. So I'd love to hear, like, when you were doing that, leading that, what, how were you winning for yourself? How were you gaining? What were you getting out of it? Yeah, so, you know, um, I tell this story because I think this is where it began for me. My grandma uh, used to say that, you know, th- those who give are happier than those who need to receive. 
And the reason for that uh, was because giving was in your control, whereas receiving was not. You had to rely on somebody else uh, to give to you. If that made you happy, then you were always going to be dependent on someone else for your happiness. Whereas if you could derive happiness from, from giving then the world was your oyster when it came to the amount of happiness you could uh, you could have. So you know, with, with that in mind, like for me, when the Syrian crisis, it did start with the Syrian crisis, and it started actually uh, earlier in, two, in the latter part of 2015 when you may know or, 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 or not, but my husband is Syrian, and uh, we, uh, you know, we have lost family in, in, in the war. And that, for me, along with the sad little uh, picture of that boy, uh, Alan Kurdi, who had washed up on the shores of Greece, like that, for me, was probably the, the starting point in, in wanting to get involved. But it was more than that. Like, for me, I've been, you know, again, working in my business for a long time. I, I really wanted to do something more. I wanted to affect change in in those the, the things that I, I felt like there was I had no control over. I couldn't contribute to sitting here in Canada watching the destruction, watching the death. It just it was something that that pained me. And you know, I, I it started with just volunteering to do this clothing drive, but it, it then evolved into me taking a full year uh, as a sabbatical from my business. And I dedicated that full year to, yes, running the clothing drive, but also uh, coming up with um, a, a social enterprise uh, for Syrian and other uh, refugee women and, uh, and, and you know, doing everything from eye checkups for them, from St. Mike's Hospital partnering with them to, you know, food drives and, and so on. And, and for me, you know, I, I did it for me. I, I did it because I wanted to give. I wanted to be happy through that giving. I wanted to help these people because it was so sad what had happened to them. But I also, like, I felt good when I did it. So it was still very selfish. Like, I wanted to, I, I get that, you know, what I did helped them. But I feel like it helped me more. I think I was at a, a place in my career where I was like, this is good. I can do this job with my eyes closed. I'm not challenged. I'm, and I'm sort of feeling privileged here. And I want, I, I, I feel I, I, I need to give back. And when, you know, when, when this sort of catastrophic uh, situation arose in Syria and there was an opportunity to give back, I had to take it up. And then uh, it was supposed to be a month or two uh, that I was going to do this. It was during Christmas time. And honestly, Matthew, I, I, it made me feel so good. I, I hadn't felt happy like that in a long time in, in, in so far as any work that I was doing. And so it, it, you know, I made the decision that I wanted to do this for longer because it brought me so much happiness. And, and that's where I ended up taking off that, to, that year to fully dedicate to it. And then once the project had concluded and there were other organizations that could, you know, carry on once the sort of the influx of refugees had, had uh, lessened. Um, I, you know, as, as you mentioned, I've continued that work through the board work that I do working with women and with uh, refugees as well. That must've been, well, okay, not must've been, it clearly was an awesome experience. How have you carried that forward? Not in your actions, but I mean, in, internally, like how has that changed you? Fund- it must have changed you fundamentally. It must have or added or given you something new. What does it look like today? 
Well, you know, it, it, it did change my attitude, first of all. It changed my perspective uh, because working in the kind of, you know, field that I work in, I work with a lot of professionals. Um, I had a newfound appreciation for immigrants, even being an immigrant myself, but having come to this country, when, you know, when I was one or two years old, I didn't have that um, appreciation for how much immigrants enrich our country. I hadn't seen that firsthand. And so, you know, that really changed my perspective on the people that I would consider for the different jobs, whether it was for my company or my clients' um, uh, companies as well, uh, because I saw that there was an enormous amount of, uh, of skill that was often um, not being brought to the forefront really because of our unconscious biases and our, our stereotypes and whatnot. So it did change my attitude. I think it, um, uh, how it changed me is I think it's made me a more empathetic person. I think it uh, made me more whole and, and not as sort of uh, focused on on me I think it's opened me up to say you know there are so many other things apart from sort of what happens in your peripheral that that you you really have to consider and that you know as as citizens as 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 people who live in this world it is uh, you know not only our obligation to help our neighbor but it's our obligation now that our neighbors are not just the people who live next door to us they're they're wider than that and that you know just like businesses act globally, we have to act globally when it comes to uh, humanity. And, it, and I, I, I live by that now. It, it, it's, it's something that, you know, drives where I spend my time, how I give my money, um, and, and how I see, you know, different people. That's amazing. Thank you, by the way, for sharing so vulnerably. If you're listening and you're thinking, oh, man, that's really good. I'd like that. No, that's just good for, for Julie. It, it's actually good. Like science shows us Increasing your empathy is actually good for your company too. You know, I'll throw this stat out because I, I think it's, it reflects so well on what it does. Employees who say their boss is empathetic take 30% less sick days than employees who say their boss not necessarily is anti-empathetic, just doesn't display that. And as you know, like absenteeism directly impacts your bottom line. So I, I don't mean, I'm not trying to cheapen empathy. In fact, I'm trying to uh, lift it up as you've just heard from Julie how it has deeply impacted her life for the better, but it it also can help your organization. Uh, Julie, man, thank you so much. Uh, again, I, t- I turned into a listener so many times during this conversation. Thank you, Matthew. It's been it's been great being on and I, I, I loved your questions because they I think they really make made me think and and has sort of drawn out the 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 answers that otherwise sort of sit in a uh, sort of a different place that you never really get to and it's it's really made me more introspective so thank you for that for more on this to see our blog post and to uh, get the resources visit leadingwithnice.com and i gotta thank a few people that help make this conversation happen the first is naomi who you know uh, helps out in the office or the virtual office and uh, helps me get organized, helps develop the questions, reminds me to show up on time. Jamie's our content manager. He's going to put together the, the post and make sure it gets promoted and up online. Austin Pomeroy is uh, our guy behind the board, making sure we sound great. Cindy book Julie. She does all the coordination with the, with, uh, the guests. And Carrie is our account manager. And as we were doing this, I saw messages come through where she was just taking care of business while I got to sit and wax poetic. 
uh, with Julie for a half an hour. So thank you to all those. But most of all, Julie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me.